Let's look to the Lord as we study his word together. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, you have given us a precious day today and a precious time to gather with your people around the worship of your name and the word that you have given us, the word of God. We thank you so much, oh God, for being here with us. And we ask humbly before you to work in our lives, continue to work in our lives this morning in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Praise God. If you will join me in your Bibles in the book of Genesis, chapter 13 and verse 3. Genesis 13, 3. I pray you have your Bible. Always bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to home fellowship. Praise the Lord. While we're turning to that passage, let me encourage you all, make sure you attend your home fellowships. It's a church service, kind of like little church, we could call it. And you should not uh, forsake the assembling together of yourselves. You should assemble yourselves even more as the coming of Jesus draws near. Our world is in a threat of uh, nuclear exchange such as we have not had in decades. It's time to get close to the Lord. Amen? Amen. And we pray that that never happens. Genesis 13.3 reads this way. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. I love the translation here in the King James Bible that says he went on his journeys. It's a very literal translation. Abraham was a man of many journeys. Perhaps... uh, Somebody could jump up and close the back doors there. Thank you. That's not an alarm that we need to be uh, concerned about. Somebody probably went in the elementary school without coding in. Uh, The King James Bible is very literal here. And uh, it refers to Abraham being a a man of journeys. And he, he shows us, Abraham shows us the life of faith as he goes on these journeys. When you live by faith in this world, you realize that the world is not a place to settle down. We have to be careful about being too dedicated to settling down in this world. So dedicated to claiming territory here and building a nest or a den for ourselves of safety and comfort and pleasure that we can forget that God has called us to be on a journey, the journey of faith. The Bible is the book of journeys. The New Testament reads in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, pass the time of your sojourning here in, the, here in this world in fear. Pass the time of your sojourning. The word sojourn has the word journey in it. And it means that Whatever stops you make are in your mind and in your heart temporary stops. All stops are temporary stops, like, like uh, staying at an Airbnb or something like that. My wife and I are leaving uh, to go to Italy Monday morning for a couple weeks. We haven't been away from the church in quite a few years, praise the Lord. And uh, I've been working on my Italian Of course, you want to be able to speak enough Italian so you can find out where the bathroom is or where you're supposed to park the car. But I want to be able to preach the gospel in Italian too. So let me try a little. uh, Pentiti perché il regno di Dio è qui vicino e proprio dietro l'angolo. Il Signore vuole abitare nella sua cardia. He wants to live in your heart. Hallelujah. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's just around the corner. 
We sojourn here. Okay, you spend one or two nights in a hotel, in an Airbnb, you're reminded that this is not your home. You still, you sit down, you kick up your feet, you get comfortable. But let me tell you that your home in Cicero, your home in Salve, your home in Liverpool, your home in the city of Syracuse, it's just a, a glorified Airbnb. It's just a glorified hotel space. You stay there for a little while and then you're going to move along to what's really important, what's really permanent. Amen, brothers and sisters. We talked this week about the home going of our sister Jenny Orban. It reminds us that this world is not our home, our final home. She and her husband, Ken, settled into a humble home in the village of Liverpool. And in that home, she served the Lord right until the end. I understand that just a few months ago, she tailored the wedding dress of Sister Jean Van Hosen. You know Sister Jean? Sister Jean, the uh, sister from the Congo, and uh, Tom, that, that very kind man, they, they met in the hotel where they work, and they got married this spring. Sister Jenny tailored her wedding dress, and I understand that she didn't like it the day before the wedding and stayed up all night making it perfect, even though she was battling cancer at the time. She gave me, Sister Jenny Orban gave me my first ride to church on a cool, bright December morning in 1975. And so she became one of my traveling buddies. You know, we made the trip from near uh, Syracuse University up to Phoenix, New York, uh, a town that I never knew existed. I had no idea where it was. We're driving and driving and driving, and I'm going, oh, my lordy, where are they taking me? Uh, After she picked me up, famously, Brother Josh Brown, who was only an infant, he puked. And it was, it was pretty bad. It was one of those really uh, sour-smelling ones. And you could ask my wife, I had a special aversion to puke and the other stuff as well and had the hardest time uh, taking care of my, my children, my first couple children when they were young. By the time Isaiah came around, it, was, it, it wasn't, any, wasn't any big deal anymore. And, but anyway... She continued, she, she drove back to her home on Buckingham Avenue, which is only a, a walk from the dormitory where I lived, was only a walk from the SU soccer field that I was familiar with. And it, it turns out it's only a short walk from where I live right now. She drove back there. I think she, you know, maybe threw Josh in the kitchen sink for a minute and, you know, rinsed them off, got some new clothes or whatever she had to do. But here's the interesting thing. She didn't say, oh, that's it. This is too much. We're not going to church this morning. That lady was no quitter. Not way back then was she any quitter. She went through a really hard time in her life, a hard period in her life. She moved in with the Grays, and people would go to her and, you know, say, Sister Jenny, are you going to be all right? And she got a little offended. What do you think, I'm going to backslide? I need Jesus now more than I ever did. That would be stupid. I imagine now that if I would have said with the puke and the drive back to their apartment that Sunday morning, if I would have said, you know, I can just walk back to my dorm room. That's enough for me this morning. I'm, I'm done. If I would have done that, instead of continued on traveling with her and her family, it could have been a life-changing decision for the worst. My whole life could have turned out different by jumping ship. I'm so glad I didn't. I don't know why I stayed in the car. 
It had to be God. Here we read about Abraham going to Bethel. It means house of God. You have to make your journey to the house of God. Sister Kathy and I have always put down a compass point since we got married. We put down a compass point on the church and then drew a little circle of 15 minutes travel time around uh, the church with a compass and said, wherever we live, it's got to be inside that circle. I don't care how beautiful the scenery was at some other place. We had to be close to the house of God. Some of you are moving physically distant from the church because you want your country estates. Be careful because your flesh is weak. It may very well be your flesh that is drawing you to that country estate to begin with, your, your desire for territory in this world, that's a, that is the flesh. That's, the fleshly, that's a fleshly desire, the desire for territory. But I'll tell you this, you have to be very careful because you will tire of the long rides to the house of God, and then we won't see you anymore. We can say all we want. Well, I just have to have. Then put, it, put whatever you want in the blank. I just have to have space. I just have to have trees and brooks and streams. I just have to have quiet. I just have to have deer running through my backyard. I can tell you, if you live on the north side, you're going to have deer running through your backyard. I just have to have this or that. And I will tell you what will happen. The Lord will give it to you. And while he's giving it to you, he's going to go... Why don't you want to be in the house of the Lord more? Abraham's journeys were done in the service of God. A um, couple months ago in the, in the summer, in August, I shared with you about uh, Abraham and his journeys. He was a man of journeys. And I distinguished between Abraham's big miles and small miles. His big miles were the the journeys he made from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran of Mesopotamia, and from Haran of Mesopotamia to Canaan land. Those were hundreds of miles, and they represented a new life for him. Our big miles are the walk down the aisle, you know, to the altar, and the sinner's prayer, and when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God comes in us and gives us new birth. Those are our big miles. But Abraham didn't just make the big miles and then sit down and put put his feet up in the easy chair and stop moving. He had his what we might call small miles that came after that. He journeyed from here in Canaan land to there in Canaan land. I even showed you a map. I, I, I probably should be reviewing it with you, but I want to move on to something. But he made short miles from uh, Beersheba to uh, Bethel, from Bethel to Egypt, from Egypt to Sodom, from Sodom to Damascus. These were much shorter journeys in his life, but they were ordered by God. I shared with you how uh, the Lord sent Abraham on a three-day journey, just a, a little hike for him to Mount Moriah to to. Uh, test his faith to see if he would be willing to sacrifice his own son. Let's turn there, Genesis 22, verse 3. It says here in Genesis 22, 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Uh, This is incredible, unhesitating obedience on the part of Abraham, getting up and going to the place. He was in an advanced age, as I shared with you this summer. In verse 2, the Lord says, Go to the land of Moriah. I'll show you. Abraham had already done a lot of journeys in his life, a lot of traveling. 
And those, that traveling included lots of challenges and decisions and fighting and walking, negotiating. It w- they weren't easy journeys. A lot of living, you might say. Like, that that's, sounds like a description of life. And we often think of life as a journey, metaphorically speaking. But now that he is old and he has his son of the promise, Isaac, in Genesis 22, the Lord says, okay, get up. Pack up. We're going on a hike. Don't get too settled. Verse 2 says, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Notice that uh, the Lord told Abraham, take your son. You're not just going to go on a lonely hike by yourself. I want you to take somebody. In that way, Abraham's test became Isaac's test. The angel of the Lord didn't come to Isaac and say, I'm... I'm Here's what I want you to do. He had to go with his father. And if you read through chapter 22, it's an incredible account of their togetherness as a father and a son. Abraham also took um, two servants with him. And his life is showing us a basic principle of the believer's life that that plays out repeatedly in his life. And that is that Uh, we don't travel on life's journey alone. It plays out in the life of Jesus. It plays out in the life of the, the followers of Jesus. We're not called to go on life's journey alone. We are called instead to take others with us on life's journey. That's my point today. We're called to take others with us. You're not called simply to get yourself into heaven. If, if the uh, purpose was just to get yourself into heaven, you could just disregard and ignore everybody else in this world. But that's not God's will for you. You're called to bring traveling buddies with you. Sister Jenny was a baby Christian. She knew enough to go and pick up three college students from their dormitory and bring them to the house of God. That it wasn't just about her getting to the house of God and her serving the Lord and making her journey. It was about helping some other people to get there with her. Don't be too lonely. Don't be too solitary. Work at bringing traveling buddies with you. I still say we need to put a GoPro on Kennedy Master Leo so we can figure out how she brings all these college students to home fellowship and church with her. How does she do it? I heard tell that they're all filled with anxiety and they take a look at her and see that she's not at PA school. I hope I'm embarrassing her good. Where is she? She was sitting there a few minutes ago. Maybe she went on a journey. Okay, some are pointing that way. Ah, there she is. (laughs) Get some traveling buddies. And more is better. More traveling buddies is better. Always work for more. Don't just settle in with your intimate, comfortable little group. Abraham took two of his servants to Mount Moriah with him. His young men surely were a help to him to carry the paraphernalia that they needed to stay overnight during their journey. It was a three-day journey. But I think also the presence of those two young men and his son was comforting was helpful, and was helpful in perhaps a counterintuitive way. 
Abraham had to be filled with apprehension, knowing that he was on a three-day journey and he was going to have to sacrifice his son. That must have been the three most difficult days of his life. Right? Seeing finally after three days Mount Moriah wasn't a happy event. That had to be so painful. But he has these two men with him, two young men with him that he brought with him, and I think they could wind up being a source of strength to him. Sometimes, for instance, a mother is the strongest one in the family. And you know why? She has to be. She has to be the strongest one in the family. Her family is counting on her. Her children need her. And because the family needs her so much and are counting on her so much, she, in a sense, rises up to the challenge of being strong in her family. I can tell you in the church, I can, t- I can confess to you, my brothers and my sisters, the church that I pastor, that I am incredibly weak. I am so weak, such a wimp, such a, so prone to feeling sorry for myself, so prone to getting sad. But I'll tell you, I will benefit so much by you needing me. It helps me be strong when I am weak. Because if the, when the church needs you, by the way, as I go, in, go to, uh, on a couple-week vacation, the church is going to be in very good hands, isn't it? Not only Brother Ben, very capable pastor, also the elders, also the deacons, also the home fellowship leaders. We have some depth here, don't we? Praise the Lord. I'm not worried. A pillar, a column, you know, with no weight on it, can be pushed over by a breeze. But if you put weight on the pillar weight on the column. You can take a sledgehammer to it and you won't move it. It will not move because it is being depended on. That's one of the reasons why we are called to have traveling buddies. Our traveling buddies are actually going to be perhaps counterintuitively a burden that makes us stronger. Let's take... um, This is, in a sense, chronologically the third example of this, Abraham bringing others on his journey. Let's let's back up now and cover a couple more. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4. Genesis 12, 4 says, So Abraham departed... As the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran, and Abraham took Sarai his wife, and Lot the brothers, his brother's son, in all their substance that they had gathered, the substance would be not only tents and cots, clothes but would actually be livestock. Lots of sheep and cattle and so on and so forth. But keep reading, because it says, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. The souls that they had gotten in Haran we don't know exactly how long they were in Haran. They know, we know how old Abraham was when he leaves Haran. He's 75 years old. He could have been there for some, quite some time. It seems to me that he left Ur of the Chaldees with his father, Terah. And that Terah was very supportive of the journey, but perhaps got sick in Haran because he dies in Haran. And Abraham sort of stops on his journey in Haran. And the Lord has to come along and sort of kick uh, Abraham in the hind end and tell him, come on now, you started from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan land. Let's go. Canaan land. Let's continue on our journey. 
And Abraham, the Bible says, took with him the souls that he had gotten in Haran. Souls that he had gotten. There was some reason, in some way, I wish we had a GoPro on Abraham's helmet, on his turban, so we could see exactly what they saw, but there's some way and somehow that Abraham was able to gather people around him who were committed enough to him that when he moved out from Haran to Canaan land, they went with him. The Bible says there are souls that he won, that he had gained. And this is what a man and a woman of faith are called to do, my brothers and sisters. We are called to attract and create and win traveling buddies. Many of you have gotten old in the church and you're very comfortable with your little circle of friends and family. And you're comfortable. How long has it been since you won a soul to Christ? How long has it been since you brought a visitor to church? Come on, brothers and sisters. We are still called, no matter what age we are, no matter how long we have been in the church, to bring traveling buddies along with us on our journey in Christ. The Hebrew reads, if, uh, if I literally say it, it is the souls they had made. We might say that the people before their encounter with Abraham were not souls. And then because of their encounter with Abraham, they became souls. I don't mean that literally, but the Bible says before we came to Christ, we were not a people. But then when we came to Christ, we became the people of God. They made souls there. They won souls there. It reminds me of the thought in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. It says, he that winneth souls is wise. That's Abraham. He won souls in Haran. Dedicated enough to go with him. You say, brother, don't condemn me because I'm not winning souls to Christ, because I'm not bringing visitors to church, because I'm not having any contact with anybody outside my little circle of friends and family where it's so comfortable for me. Don't condemn me for that. Don't point a finger. Oh, no, I need to, saints, because that is the Bible way. That's the Bible way. And I need to do it, too. That's the Bible way. Uh, for Proverbs 11.30, that New International Version says, the one who is wise saves lives. And I'm going to read the whole verse in the New Living Translation. This is Proverbs 11.30. It says, the seeds of good deeds become a tree of life. A wise person wins friends. Wins friends. I've got enough. I've got enough friends. Oh, you're called to win more, though. Let me give you another example of Abraham bringing people with him on his journeys. Let's go to Genesis 14, 14. Genesis 14, 14 says, And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. You can expound however you uh, desire and imagine about who these 318 servants are. They were born into Abraham's household. He didn't actually have a house. He lived, the Bible tells us clearly that he lived in tents like the Bedouins do to this day. You can see the Bedouins in Israel, Egypt, Syria, uh, Jordan, and that, that part of the world, the Bedouins still live in tents to this day. Abraham lived in tents, and he did not have any of his own descendants at this point. Zero. Zero descendants in Genesis 14. 
He didn't have any sons. And he left, Ur of the Chaldee, he left his kin. The Lord called him away from his family. But he accumulated another kind of family during his journeys that included quite a sizable number of people. We would have to imagine well over a thousand people because he's got 318 young men. How about the young women? How about the children? How about the older men who were too old to go and be warriors with him? He had to have a a following of a thousand. Wow. He's picking up a lot of traveling buddies along the way. And now he says, we've got, a, we've got a journey, men. We've got an errand to run. We've got to go rescue my nephew. He's been taken captive. And they ran away with him to the north. We're going to have to go on a journey. Turns out, the journey that Abraham had to make from uh, Beersheba all the way to north of Damascus was over 250 miles. I'll just call that 25 days of journeying. He, this is going to be a minimum of a one-month excursion there and another month back. And 318 trained servants join him. They were not his flesh family. They may very well have originated somehow during his journey from Ur. We don't know how long he was in Haran. And we don't know exactly how long he was in Canaan land. What we know about these servants were that they were born in his house. Born into his, born in his household. They had lived out their lives with him. I want to tell you, Abraham knew how to win and gather people. Brothers and sisters, it's the Bible way. To win and gather people is the Bible way. If we're not doing it, we're not living the Bible way. We're called to bring others into our household. I imagine that other people might have thought that Abraham was crazy. Here he is on a journey from Ur to Haran, from Haran to Canaan, and his entourage is growing, making journeying more complicated, making providing for everybody a bigger task. He must have been kind, wouldn't you say? He must have been fair. He must have been smart. Sensitive and compassionate. He must have had these qualities in order to gather people around him rather than repulse them. He must have been quite a guy. But he had a knack for gathering people around him. He also had faith in God that enabled people to find the God-sized hole in their heart and reach out to God to fill it. That will seal people together. Sister Jenny Orban and I, we didn't have coffee weekly. We didn't go over each other's houses monthly. But I talked to her last week, and we had like, I don't know, just such a connection and such a delightful time of fellowship. And she sort of had a burst of energy and lucidness. And we talked about so many things and worshiped the Lord together. And I'm so glad I had that time with her. When you and other people find the Lord together, we, we know this at our church, that really, that really creates a bond between you, doesn't it? Amen? 
It's like, that's a powerful bond. This, with this small band of 318 warriors, Abraham defeats the armies of a five-king confederation that had captured Sodom and had taken Lot and his family captives to the north. And Abraham went up there with his 318 servants and defeated them and brought Lot and all of Sodom's goods back south. The word trained comes from the root dedicated. Verse 14, 14. He armed his trained servants, their dedicated servants, that Abraham had 318 dedicated servants speaks well of Abraham. Who are they? They were born into his house. They were not born of the flesh. They were not part of his household by the flesh. They were part of his household by the spirit. He didn't have a flesh family as part of his gathering. He had already separated from the only flesh family that was with him. Lot went to to the south, to Sodom, and Abraham went towards the west and settled in the uh, plains of of Israel. They they had already separated from each other. All of these servants in his household were not his flesh. God has called us to minister and to partner with and to travel with more than our flesh families. Jesus looked around the room and he said, Behold, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, they are those who do the will of God. While his mother and his his flesh mother and his flesh family was outside the house trying to get to him, thinking he was half crazy, this is the way of God to accumulate traveling buddies. It's the will of God for you. Now I say, this is the way of God. When I say the expression, this is the way, maybe you think of the Mandalorian. You could chuckle. How many of you have watched the Mandalorian series? Notice I'm looking down right now. I'm not holding it against you. My wife and I watched it. Okay, Our template as Christians is not the Mandalorian. In fact, he's an anti-template in many ways. He is cool because he is so independent and inaccessible. He travels about by himself in a helmet he never removes. This is the way, he says. You never get to know if he's smiling, if he's frowning, if he's crying. We all waited until the series, until he finally, in order to save Grogu, took off his helmet and we all looked at him and he said, whoa, he's really ordinary looking. (laughs) He He is not our template, traveling alone, independent, relying on himself remaining hidden behind a a helmet. We don't know the real guy. He's hidden from us. He's private. That's not our template, brothers and sisters. He's not your pattern. Maybe you've never seen the television show. That's beside the point. He is the popular, lonely traveler who may become symbolic for your attitudes and your life. The Mandalorian is dedicated to one vulnerable child. That is not your call. You are not called to be devoted to one vulnerable child. You are called to gather traveling buddies and go together with others and be part of a spiritual family. And you are not called to remain hidden and private and unknown to other people. Take off your helmet and be known. Abraham was known to all these people. That's why they joined with him. If he was, 
existing behind a helmet, they wouldn't have joined with him and had confidence in him to go on journeys with him. Give us Bible, brother, not Mandalorian. No, Mandalorians are culture, and I'm giving you Bible. Abraham is our template. Not a television show, not Hollywood, not wherever they make these things. Those writers aren't Christians leading you in the Christian way. If you're traveling alone, you're traveling wrong. Yeah, but brother, I know. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to stand before the Lord with anybody. I'm not going to hold anybody's hand. The only one that's going to stand with me is Jesus. Well, remember that the Apostle Paul challenged that very high spiritual talk and called it carnal. He said, we are called to move together with other people. We are called to move with traveling buddies. I know I'm challenging you this morning. Can I hear an amen? You're challenging us, brother. God wants you to pick up many strangers along the way and make them part of your spiritual family. That's what happened to Sister Jenny. She came to church and she heard about this thing called an altar call and surrendering your life to Jesus. And she waited and waited for Brother Bob to make the altar call. And... It wasn't coming and it wasn't happening. I think she might have come a second time to church. And then when he said, anybody who wants to come and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, she ran down the aisle. She was just waiting for it. She became part of a traveling family, didn't she? A spiritual family. My family. My sister. My friend. How many of you call Sister Jenny your friend? Hallelujah. If you're traveling with only your flesh family, you're traveling wrong. Jesus sent out his disciples on a mission to make more followers of Jesus. There was Paul and Barnabas. They didn't go out alone. They went out together and they made believers wherever they went, traveling buddies, Paul and Silas. But they didn't stay Paul and Barnabas for very long. They didn't stay Paul and Silas for very long. They made strangers into friends. That is the way of God. Paul was anticipating at one near uh, the latter stages of his life, he was anticipating joining the church of Rome. His home base had been Antioch in Syria for the first years of his Christian life. And he was... uh, considering making Rome his new home base because he wanted to continue his work toward the western Mediterranean all the way to Spain was his goal and intention. And so the whole book of Romans is in in a way a get-to-know-each-other letter. He gives his resume. He also puts them to the test. It's almost like a two-way interview because he's looking for a ministry partner in the church of Rome. We can look at Romans chapter 16, if you'll turn there. It doesn't really make very good preaching material. I don't know how many sermons have been preached on the first half of Romans 16. Probably very, very few. This is my second sermon in my lifetime on Romans chapter 16. And I think it's a very powerful passage of Scripture. If we begin at Romans 16, verse 1. We read, I commend... I'm going to read this out of the New International Version. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. 
They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wow. I don't know about you, but I think that is one powerful passage of Scripture because of the way it, it piles up. Friend, friend, friend. Coworker, coworker, coworker. Comforted me, was with me, went to prison with me. And then he indicates that he knows quite about what they're doing in Rome. And just a reminder, Paul has never been in Rome yet when he writes this. He has never been to the church of Rome and he mentions here 29 different people. You get it? And you can hear him saying how they're his traveling buddies. They worked with me here. They comforted me there. They provided me here for me here. They went to prison with me there. They traveled with me about Asia, about Greece. Now they're in Rome. I hope to travel to Rome and see them again. My traveling buddies. Jesus had traveling buddies too, didn't he? How many people did he approach and say, follow me, follow me? It's one of the great endeavors of Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. His accumulation of traveling buddies. Brothers and sisters, to put a helmet on and guard yourself and be private and be inaccessible to be hidden, not talkative, not sharing, to go and live someplace all by yourself in a kind of lonely existence, on a lonely path. The Mandalorian can say, this is the way. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is the way. He's the way and he's the truth and he's the life. And he shows us how to live the way and the truth and the life. He shows us how to live. He showed us, shows us how to really, what the life looks like. And how, what does it look like? The same way it looked for Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, our template, our model in Christ. And Abraham gathered traveling buddies through his whole experience. Not only did he keep traveling, until and during his old age. But he, he took traveling buddies with him wherever he went. Beware of moving out and away from the church to your paradisial estate. I don't even know if paradisial is a word. <laughs> but you see paradise in it. We're looking actually, for unnatural friends. I will tell you, as soon as Sister Jenny's kid puked in the car, it was one of those projectile jobs, she was no longer my natural friend. 
but she was my friend. We are looking for surprising friends. Friends that may first create a little bit of a stretch for us. A little bit of, you know, out of our comfort zone. Oh, am I so glad that I did not get out of that car that day. That I did not do what was comfortable for me because I will tell you, I felt very uncomfortable. All my dreams for my life before I came to Christ were very solitary in nature. My daydreams were of solitary hikes and solitary homes, mountains and woods, being by myself and traveling alone. And I can tell you instantly, instantly when I came to Christ, such mundane things as swearing and cursing stopped, drinking stopped, but I will tell you much more central, much more important was my heart was changed and I wanted to go through my life's journeys with other people and, in fact, as many other people as I could join. And it was like coming home when I came to the church. God puts the solitary and he puts them in families. He doesn't take them from the families and put them in solitary. Amen? This is God's way. I like, the, I like to rename the Apostle Paul's friends and co-workers. I like to rename them for this duration of this morning, traveling buddies. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let our hearts be big, not small. Let our vision be big, not narrow. Let our hearts and our lives reach out to others besides our flesh family. Even outside of our nuclear family, our extended family, even, uh, Lord, our church family, and may we gather people who today are strangers, may we gather them to ourselves so that they become a part of a growing spiritual family. In Jesus' holy name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Praise the Lord. We'll be here tonight, and I pray that you join us.